Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. I was sitting in court again, hopefully for the last time. Over the last 12 months, I'd been there far too many times for the trial of the young man that murdered my brother. I had finished my victim impact statement and he took a turn to speak. He said very simply and without emotion that he was sorry. He also said that he hoped someday I would forgive him. After all, he took my only sibling. As I sat there within arm's reach of him, I thought of his question, his request, would I forgive him? Could I forgive him? We stood and the judge passed sentence on the 19 year old sitting there. Life without the possibility of parole. It was finally over. As I turned to leave, I said the young man's name and I said three words that began a very long and painful journey for me. I said, I forgive you. And the moment the words left my mouth, I knew I didn't mean it, but I said it anyway. And I left. You see, there'd been a lot of pain in my life up to that point because four months before my brother was murdered, our stepdad, Hal, passed away. And four months before Hal died, our mom lost her battle to cancer. I lost my entire family in eight months. My brother was a drug addict. He made a promise to mom to get clean before she died. In fact, the day before he died, he had committed to enter rehab. And I called him that night to tell him how proud I was to tell him that I loved him, and he said he loved me too. Unfortunately, my phone rang seven hours later, and a screaming voice said that someone had stabbed my brother in the heart. In fact, he'd been stabbed 15 times. My world turned upside down. I was now the executor of three estates, going through a murder trial. None of my family had life insurance. I was trying to figure out a way to pay the attorney for that and trying to also help my brother's family stay in their home. I was doing the best I could and I thought doing those things were progress and I also thought telling this kid that I forgave him would begin a road to normalcy However, one of my favorite quotes is, my hypocrisy knows no bounds. And uh, (laughs) that's why my grandma used to say my eyes should have been brown, but uh, y'all get that one. Um, (laughs) 
I didn't know what to do because I had so much pain and anger and grief and unforgiveness in my life. It had started to change me. I, I, I didn't even realize it was changing me. And, um, you know, somebody would say something as simple as, how are you doing? And I would get so angry and I would think, how the hell do you think I'm doing? And then one day, a young man named Chance that I had mentored who had worked for me at a time and I cared about him and I knew he cared about me. He came up to me and he said, if I ever have to work for you again, I'm not going to work for you. And I was shocked. I said, why? He said, because you're a dick. <laughs> yeah, he said it in uncertain terms too. Um, Well, it gets better from there because then my boss's boss called me and said, meet me at the office on Sunday. And I said, no, we're not open on Sundays. That's not good. And it wasn't. I showed up. My manager and all my supervisors that reported to me were sitting there. One by one, they took turns telling me how I wasn't the person that I used to be. And how I needed to change and get back to being that person if I wanted to keep working there. I was so angry. I was so filled with rage. I sat there and I gripped the arms of the chair. How I didn't flip the table and tell them all to go to hell, I don't know. But I didn't. And I listened. I was so hurt by the words, because I'm like, uh, how, how can you sit there and say these things? After everything that I've been through, you're going to whine and complain about how I'm treating you? And I, I just, I kept that in. And when they were done, I left the building and I got in my car and I called my best friend, my wife of 30 years, and I just shaking with tears and I relayed everything that they said and what she said next. Stop my world. She said, baby, I love you, but if you've been acting at work the way you've been acting at home, she said, they're right. I dropped the phone and I sobbed. I cried. Sitting alone in that car in that empty parking lot, I, th I, I didn't know what to do. I said, I got to make a decision. I felt like I was standing at the edge of this abyss and I was going to go headlong into it and allow that darkness to just swallow me and lose everything and everyone in my own life. Or I had to make a decision to fight. I can tell you as a Marine Corps veteran, really all I know how to do is fight. So I made a decision to fight. But I didn't know what to do next. I didn't remember taking the exit ramp. And, and I didn't remember changing. I didn't remember doing that and hurting everybody that I loved personally and professionally. So I did the only thing I knew how to do, and I called uh, the employee assistance line at work. I said, I've never asked for help, but I need help. They set me up with a therapist. I went and met with him. And the second I met this guy, I thought I just made the biggest mistake of my life. This guy was the complete opposite of me in every way. I'm not the smallest guy. He was the smallest guy. <laughs> I'm loud. He's quiet. And I'm like, all right, I'm here. I'm going to do this. And I just, man, I let it all out. All of it. Guess what the first thing out of this guy's mouth was? Did you know zebras don't get ulcers? 
already thought he looked like a hippie, but I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Zebras don't get ulcers. He said in Africa, zebras, when they see a lion, they start pumping blood to the large muscle groups because they got to make a decision, fight the lion or run from the lion. I'm like, yeah, okay. He goes, but once that zebra is free of danger, the difference between us and that zebra, this is where it comes into play. And I'm like, okay. He said it goes back to being a zebra. It stops thinking about the lion. But me and you, we got these four pound squishy brains. Not only do we keep thinking about that lion, we start creating lions. Now he had me. We start creating these phantom lions in our mind. And not only do we create them, we start working out these alternate realities. He's got me on the edge of my seat. I'm like, oh, okay, what what now? And he said, well, there's one other thing. He said, everybody has a conversation, a dialogue that runs in their head 24-7. He said, the problem is most people don't tune in and listen. But if you do, here's what you're going to hear. You're either rehearsing the future or you're rehashing the past. You can't do a thing about either one of them but you can choose to be present because that's all you have. You talk about a paradigm shift. So I'll fast forward several months. I'm on 63rd headed south. I'm over by Brown's Woods and I'm thinking about this young man that killed my brother. And down deep in my being, I heard a small voice whisper, Pray for him. I muttered a short prayer for this kid and I felt like I physically choked on the words. But the moment I did that, something else happened. A hairline crack formed in my heart of stone and some light came in. And I realized I had to make another decision. You see that day in the parking lot when I decided I was going to fight, that had to happen. Had that not happened, I think the anger and the pain, the unforgiveness, the grief, I think it would have metastasized in me just like the cancer that killed my mom. And I wouldn't be here today watching my kids start their families. But this was a different decision. This was the decision that I realized I had to be willing to forgive. And so I began to read everything I could on forgiveness uh, from a variety of different religious leaders, my own faith, everything that I could. And as I did that, more and more light continued to come into my heart. And I discovered something. I wasn't powerless anymore. I wasn't powerless because I made that decision to be willing. This journey of life is not a sprint. And so my path to forgiveness wasn't going to be as simple as saying, I forgive you and leaving a courtroom. It was a journey that's taken place over days and weeks and months, but it wasn't until I was willing to forgive that I think the light started to come in and I was able to get to that point to be willing. 
finally, in conclusion, another thing that I learned is uh, your mess becomes your message. And it was amazing how many people began to come into my life that were struggling with pain, grief, unforgiveness. Um, I've probably talked to more people that had issues forgiving themselves instead of someone else. I talked to young people about the power of their choices and decisions and the consequences. And, uh, and I'm happy to do all of those things. My mess became my message. So about a year ago, I printed off the forms to request a visit with the young man in prison. I haven't filled them out yet. They're on my desk. You know, I, I want to go and I want to sit down and I want to tell him about the path that I've traveled. I want him to know what's in my heart. And I want, to, I want him to know that I've truly forgiven him. It's important for, me to, for him to know that. And, and here's the thing. I, I want to know what's in his heart too. But I can tell you today that even if I find someone with no regret, no remorse, my peace can't be conditional on another person. I have found my peace. I'm no longer powerless. But none of that would have happened unless I was first willing to be willing. Thank you.